Đi So we're going we're gonna to do something a little bit different this morning um, instead of just going right into teaching. Um, I want to show a, a video clip and um, we're going into, uh, we're not, well we'll start today getting close to the parable of the prodigal son. And there was a movie I watched years ago called Jesus of Nazareth, which if you haven't watched it, it's just a, a, a really good movie. And uh, this, when I saw this scene, I always remembered it. And I went out on the internet one day and downloaded it, and I still go back and watch it from time to time. And I, so I thought it would be a good time uh, to share this, uh, this with you. So y'all got that ready to go? All right, so this is a, we'll watch this and we'll begin our lesson. Jesus, get out. He's staying with Simon Peter. You know him, the fisherman? Yes. He owes me back taxes, doesn't he? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. A man finds it, and in his joy spends everything he has to buy that field. It's like a merchant in search of fine pearls. He finds one pearl of great value and sells everything to have that pearl. You, you're all fishermen. Well, the kingdom of heaven is like a net, a great net thrown into the sea. it is filled. It's almost bursting. You have to call to the other boats to come and help. Everybody's working together. Happy. Excited. It's a time for joy. For rejoicing in what God has freely given. But one day, 
God will ask you to account for the gift he has given. Be prepared. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Rabbi, you say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But when exactly will it come? When you see the clouds moving from the east, you say the rain is coming. And so it is. When the desert wind blows, you say it'll be hot. And it is. All of you can read the signs of the earth and the sky. How is it you can't read the signs of the times? The kingdom of heaven is here. Now. What's he doing here? It's Matthew, the tax collector. Get him out. Peter, your friend Matthew is here. Get out. You're defiling this house. Blood-sucking tax collector. No place for you here. Out of my house! You stop! Help! Oh, Simon, don't! I will not have Simon, it defiled by you! Simon! I hear you've had a big catch, Simon. We'll talk about it later, shall we? But what about this friend of yours? This new preacher or teacher or whatever he is? Am I not allowed to speak with him? Not in my house. <laughs> you seem to be most unwelcome here. I don't know your name. I know what you do. Levi. Or Matthew. I'm known by both names. And by others. <laughs> I see you and I must meet in a place where both of us are welcome. Is your own house far? Why do you ask? I should like to have supper with you tonight. You would enter the house of a sinner. I would enter any house where I am welcome. For 20 years, it is the curse of God, punishment for my sins and for my parents' sins. Your sins are forgiven you. Rabbi, you must not speak so. That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. Which of these is easier? To say your sins are forgiven you? Or rise up and walk home? 
Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. I suppose. Well, they know the law. Tax collectors cannot even enter the synagogue, and anyone who associates with them is as defiled as them. Yes, according to the Pharisees. Well, yes. Well, that's their argument. Peter, tell him I again. I told him! What do you want from me? I said Matthew's my blood-sucking enemy. I hate Matthew, but all Jesus would say is, well, why don't you join us as well? Andrew. Andrew, I'm not like you. I'm not a follower of priests and prophets. I'm a fisherman. I have my family to think of. You follow the Baptist? Now follow this one. Peter! Just leave me alone! Why did you bring him here to me? This is my life! My boat. Go on! Follow him! Believe me! Come on. You can't talk to him when he's like this. Come on, Philip. This is where I belong. Master! It's a scandal for you to eat with these people. Don't you know who they are? We've lived our lives honorably, made sacrifices to keep the law. They are thieves. 
whores, usurers, violent and godless people. And now you sit and eat with such people who spend their lives in orgies and perversions. I'm not come to call the virtuous to repentance, but the sinners. And they might enter the kingdom of heaven even before you. Listen, master, if you go and eat with these people, they will contaminate you. The whole town will abandon you. James is right. James, the heart of the law is mercy. Peace be with you. Thank you for coming to my house. Rabbi, you are welcome. Welcome, Rabbi. No, 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 don't move, I'll sit down. Why? This is my brother James. He's in the same business as I am. I drink to you in the name of all here. want to hear your words. Please, speak to us. No, 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 let me first. No, let him decide. No, no. I'd like to tell you a story. Sit down, sit down. Sit down, sit down. <laughs> a certain man had two sons and one day the younger of these sons said to his father give me my share of your estate now so his father divided his wealth between his two sons and a few days later this younger son set off for a distant land and there, he squandered all the money he had on riotous living. Now, not long after this, a great famine swept over the land. And the boy began to starve. He persuaded a farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. But he was so hungry that even the husks he was feeding the swine began to look good to him. And still, Nobody gave him anything. Finally, 
the boy came to his senses. At home, even my father's servants have enough food and to spare. And here I am starving to death. I will go home and ask my father to hire me as one of his servants. And so, he set off. Now he was still some distance from his home when his father saw him coming. And he was so filled with compassion that he ran towards his son and embraced him and kissed him. The boy said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am not worthy to be called your son. But his father called for the servants and said, Bring me the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Put rings on his hands and shoes on his feet. Kill the fatted calf. We must celebrate with a feast. My son was dead. And is alive again. Now, the older brother, at this time, was working in the fields. And as he came back to the house, he heard the noise of music and dancing. He called for one of the servants and asked what was happening. And he was told. At this, the older brother became very angry. And he refused to go into the house. The father came out, tried to plead with him, but he wouldn't listen. I have worked for you all this time, all these years, and never once have I disobeyed you. And in all that time, you've never even given me so much as a goat so that I could have a feast with my friends. My younger brother comes back, having spent all your money on harlots. And for him, you kill the fatted calf. Please, said the father. Please, try to understand. You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But it is right to celebrate. Your brother was dead. And is alive again. He was lost. And is found. Forgive me, Master. I'm... 
just a stupid man. good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, if you've never watched that movie, it's called Jesus of Nazareth. It was made in the 70s, and uh, it is a really, really good movie. Now, they take a little bit of license, of course. It's based on a true story, obviously, but it's not perfect. Um, you know, I, in, in the Bible, you don't see Peter and, and, uh, uh, you don't see Peter and, and Matthew coming together after Jesus tells the parable. But there's a few things about that clip that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to uh, uh, point out if I, if I can. Um, first of all, the video should really remind us of three things. And first of all is that Jesus, you know, when we talk about these parables and we come to them and we're reading a story, this, this really happened, right? I mean, this is recounting real things that happened in a real place at a real time to, to real people. And so we have to remember that it, it's occurring in a culture. Jesus is telling a story that to that culture, they understood completely. So when Jesus talks about a fishing net, or He talks about uh, uh, planting uh, crops, or He talks about something like that, or He talks about a shepherd, th- those are all things that were very clear to these people. And so for us, because our culture is so different, for us to really understand Scripture, we have to kind of go back and dig a little bit. We have to put ourselves in that, in the place of that culture and in that time so that we can understand these things better. The other thing I think that, that really pointed out is, is notice the difference in that day between the religious and the sinners. There was a, you, you heard him saying, you can't go in there. You can't associate with those people. It will, it will defile you. And so there was a real, when Jesus comes to the Jews, there's a real mindset there that religious people, moral people, you just cannot associate with those, uh, those sinners or those, those tax collectors. And, and that is so far from the heart of God. And this is what we're going to see here in Luke 15. And the other thing I want us to see is parables should be alive. Did you notice how he's telling the parable in both Matthew and Peter put themselves in the parable. Did you see that? You know, Matthew, of course, is the is the sinner. Uh, uh, Peter is the older brother in this case. And, and when when he tells, when we study parables, he expects the same thing from us that we should put ourselves in the parable. Who are we? You know, am I the older brother? Am I acting all high and mighty and and moral and religious? Am I the younger brother? Which, where do I fit into these things? These are questions that we should, um, we should ask ourselves as we go through this. Now today, we come to Luke chapter 15. And in this, this, this chapter, and you can go ahead and turn there if you've got your Bible, 
This chapter is all about three parables. And Jesus is just going to tell them back to back. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and of course, probably the most misnamed parable out of all of them, and that is the lost son. We know it as the prodigal son. The word prodigal means wasteful. Somebody that just wastes everything they have. But this isn't about a wasteful son. It's about a lost son. We call it the prodigal because the King James used the word prodigal, but, but Jesus never, you know, He doesn't title His parables. The Bible doesn't title them. We title them. And it should better be called the, the lost son. So it's these three parables as we come to the 15th chapter that Jesus is going to tell all in a row. No break, no words in between them. He's just going to tell one, then the next, and then the next. And they all deal with the same subject. They deal with a complaint that the Pharisees are making against him. They're dealing with the same complaint that we saw in that video. You can't go in there. You can't eat with those people. You shouldn't even be talking to those people. They will defile you. Look at verses 1 through 2, and this is in Luke 15. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained. They, they murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, as we've seen numerous times in our parables, the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious elite, religious people, they literally despise tax collectors and sinners. Now, tax collectors, they held a special place because they were Jews who had bought Roman franchises in order to collect taxes. And so they cheated the people, they, they extorted the people, and, and so not only were they seen as collaborators with the Romans, they were seen as traitors to their own people. So they held a, they held a special place in the, in the eyes of the Pharisees. And they kind of lumped everybody else in with this word, Sinners. So, to eat with these people, or even talk to these people, or deal with these people, the Pharisees saw, saw this not only as a flaunting of the law, but a flaunting of, of purity and holiness. How can you say you're a holy man, a holy person, when you eat with that person, when you talk to that person, when you fellowship with those, with those kind of people? So they just, they would have absolutely nothing to do with them. I ran across an old rabbinic saying, it says this, Let not a man associate with the wicked, not even to bring him nearer to the law. Now that's crazy, isn't it? That's how bad they were. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't even try to associate with them to get them saved. They said, you just don't associate with them. You can't... I mean, that's, in, that's just incredible to me that, that they would go that, that far. See, the fact is, how do you win people to God when you won't even talk to them? It's impossible, but the Pharisees, the Pharisees didn't care. They were concerned only about their holiness. They were only concerned about their standing with God. And they were only interested in themselves. So what comes out in this chapter, and what Jesus is trying to teach, is just how different God is from the Pharisees. Just how different Jesus is from the Pharisees. In contrast to them, He's actually interested in sinners. He cares about them. He loves them. He, he wants to reach them. He wants to bring them home. And so this is what this chapter is really, is really all about. And by the way, this behavior literally drove the Pharisees insane. 
it just drove them crazy because they saw it as direct evidence that he could not be from God. Because if you're from God, you wouldn't associate with those people. Holy people don't associate with sinners. So it was direct evidence that he couldn't be from God, that he had not been sent from heaven. So Jesus is going to answer this complaint. And he's going to answer this complaint with three parables. Now he's going to begin with the first one, is the lost sheep. And today we're going to cover the lost sheep and the lost uh, coin, and next week we'll get to the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. Let's read verses 3 through 7. Now remember, this is what Jesus is responding to their complaint. Hey, you eat with sinners. Godly people don't do that. This is what Jesus says. So He spoke this parable to them saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, how Jesus frames this parable. See, He draws them into the story. He makes them part of the story by asking them a question. Which one of you? What what man of you? See, He's asking them. He says, I'm I'm fixing to pose a question to you, and I want to know how you would answer it. So, so, So they have to put themselves in the place of this shepherd. And see, in making them think through the logic here, in making them put themselves in the story and come up with an answer, see, he, what he's doing, he's opening them up to the application to be, to be the recipient of an application. So it's a very uh, unique thing that he does here. He doesn't always do this with parables, but he does it in these two. Now, I mentioned earlier, let's put ourselves back very quickly into, into that culture. Now, in that culture, sheep were incredibly important. You know, today we read this and it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us because it's, it's just not part of our culture. But back then, every family had at least a few sh- sheep. And they were important because they literally were essential to survival. They provided all kind of staples that you needed. For example, from the sheep's wool, that's where you got your clothes. You made your clothing. You, you, you did if you had any kind of curtains or carpeting or blankets to keep warm in the winter. Those came from, you know, normal people couldn't afford uh, linen or silk or any of these other things. Everything pretty much they had came from wool, came from the sheep that they raised with their own hand. The sheep were also a source of food. They drank the milk from the sheep. They took the milk and they made cheese. They, they killed the fatted lamb. That, that was a, not only that, it was part of their sacrifices, right? They would sacrifice lambs. And so it, it was, they were incredibly important, um, to, to their survival because without those sheep, they probably would not have been able to obtain those, um, those items. Now remember, these are, these are very poor people living in a village. These are not Bedouins who, um, roam the countryside living out of tents. These are people that have houses. They live in a village. So what would happen was typically they would consolidate all the village sheep into 
one great flock. Everybody wouldn't have their own pen and all that. They would just put all of them together and have this one flock. At night, the sheep would remain in the pen, um, have somebody watch over them and protect them. And, it, and during the day, they would go out into the, the countryside on the mountainsides and they would graze. And then again in the evening, they would bring them back to the, to the pen. Now, what they would do is they would assign, usually some young teenagers or young men from the, um, from the village would be assigned to these people as shepherds. Now, one thing they would not do is they would not go outside the village to hire somebody to watch the sheep. And they wouldn't do that because to hire somebody, they're not vested. See, if you're from the village, if, if some of those sheep belong to your neighbors and your friends, you're vested in those sheep. Everybody with me? You know how important they are. So you're, you're willing to do whatever it takes. You hire some guy from the outside, they're not going to protect them. Jesus said this in John. Jesus uses this exact example in John 10, 11 through 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, somebody, you know, somebody that's not of the family, not of the village, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he runs. Now he, it doesn't mean anything to him. It's just a little bit of money. It's not worth his life. See, the hireling flees because he's a hireling and he does not care about the sheep. So the, so the village always wants to put one of the local people in charge who are vested in the, in, the, uh, in the sheep. Now, there's really only two basic rules about being a shepherd. Okay, There are two basic rules you've got to remember if you want to be a shepherd. Number one, you do whatever it takes to protect the flock. Remember, if the sheep die, the village is probably going to die. You literally, this is your survival. If you want to live to the next week or the next month, these sheep have to live. So you do whatever it takes to, to make sure those, those sheep are protected. Number two is you do not lose the sheep. Okay, You're out in the open, they're all around, you do not lose the sheep. If one of those sheep wanders away, you find it and you bring it back to the village dead or alive. If it dies naturally then you pick it up and you bring it back and, and the village can use the wool, they can, they can, uh, they can kill, you know, they can eat the meat. It, it at least, it at least helps the village survive. So if it dies naturally, bring it back. If it's ripped to pieces by a predator, then you better go find a piece of it and bring it back to show that it was ripped to pieces. You don't want anybody doubting that, well, maybe he sold it. Maybe he traded it. Maybe he did. You don't want anybody thinking that, so you bring back a piece of that uh, to, to, to show that. These are the two rules. This is what it meant to be a shepherd. Now, everybody, everybody in the culture knows that. That's what shepherding was, was all about. You make sure that you took care of those very, very valuable sheep. You may, you may be watching sheep and, and some poor family only has two. Right? And one of those sheep may be one of those two. I mean, it, it, it meant everything to these families. And so you took on that responsibility as a shepherd. So Jesus asked the Pharisees the question, which one of you would do any different than that shepherd? And see, he knows the answer to the question. In fact, they all know the answer to the question. He says, if he loses one of them, he's going to go and do everything he can until he finds it. Notice the word, until. That man does not come back until he finds that sheep. That's how important it is for, for that shepherd. And so he, they all know the answer to this question. 
And the, and the Pharisees would have understood that. They would have understood that that shepherd did exactly what he's supposed to have do. He did his duty. He, he, did, he, took, he took his responsibility and he found that was which was lost. He did the right thing. Now, look at verses 5 through 6. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he brings it back to the village. He calls everybody together. And you may think, well now look, it's just a, it's just a dumb sheep. Right? Anybody here raised sheep before? I mean, I raised them, but I just raised them to eat my grass. I didn't depend on them. I wasn't doing it for money, anything like that. But these people depended on this. See, I know it's, it's difficult for us to understand why a lost sheep would be so big deal. Because if we lost something like that, we just go to Winn-Dixie. You know, if our freezer goes bad, we just drive to Winn-Dixie and buy some more lamb. Right? Or we just go to Walmart and buy some more clothes. It didn't work that way for them. These sheep were their Winn-Dixie. They were the Walmart. See, without them, their, their chances of survival are greatly diminished. So if there's a sheep lost, you can imagine the family and the village are waiting. It's getting dark and the other shepherds have come back and, and, and he said, they tell him, look, one of them's lost and, 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 and Joe Bob or whatever his name's out looking for him, right? And, and the whole village is, like, is waiting. I mean, they're on pins and needles. Are we, you know, man, this is going to be survival for somebody. And so when that shepherd shows up, man, there's a party. Because it means, man, wow, this is, this is just awesome. This is great, right? And then Jesus gives the application, verse 7. I say to you that likewise, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. See, this is a very clear application. This whole story is about the kingdom of God. And specifically, it's about the joy in the kingdom. The joy in heaven when one sinner, one, is, is, is found and recovered and brought back home. See, nobody could miss this. this. This is as clear as a bell. It's just too obvious. But here's the implication. What Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is this. How is it that you say you are children of God? How is it that God can be so eager? How, can be, how is it that God can be so concerned to seek and save a lost human being? And you, who claim to be God's representatives on earth, you despise that same person. You won't even talk to them. And you say you're children of God? How can that be? He see, He wants them to see the difference between them and the heart of God. See, how is it? See, Jesus is saying, this is only showing that you couldn't be further from the heart of God that you say you love and that you say you serve. You despise the lost, and God loves them. You despise the lost, and God is concerned about them. You won't go near them, and God will do anything it takes, including sending His Son to die for them. And you say, He's your Father? You say, You're, you're, you're close? to God, then very quickly he tells another one. Again, no, just immediately goes into this second parable, verses 8 through 11. We're going to go through this very quickly. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I've lost just so, or in the same way, or likewise, I tell you, 
There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Once again, Jesus is painting a picture that, that the listeners, the Pharisees, would understand very well. His story begins with a woman who has ten silver coins and she's lost one. Now, again, this is difficult for us to understand because, you know, if we lose ten dollars, right? Let's say we got a hundred dollars and we lose ten. Well, you know, we're going to look for it, but it's not that big a deal. Right? I mean, we're not going to throw a party and call our friends, hey, I lost $10 and I found it. Right? Nobody's going to do that. So it's kind of difficult for us to understand what's, what's the big deal here. Now remember, in those days, this is not a monetary society. It's not that everybody's walking around with, with money in their pocket. Most people had very little money, if any at all. See, they lived in a bartering society. Most people in villages, yes, there were some rich people who had money, but most people in villages, they swapped goods and, and labor. Hey, I'll, I'll trade you this, this wool coat for, you know, uh, uh, so many pounds of bean seeds or whatever. I mean, they just, they traded and they bartered goods and services. I'll work in your field if you'll, if you'll give me this. That's how they got things that they couldn't make or, or grow on their, uh, on their own. See, money just wasn't used in the way it's used with us, right? We do everything with, with money now. So back then, if you came into possession of some money, that was a big deal because that, that was security. That meant that the time was going to come where maybe you didn't have anything to trade. You didn't have anything to barter. And that money gave you a way to get that. So if you had money, that was a huge deal for poor people. I mean, you kept that put aside. You didn't, you didn't waste that. You didn't just use it frivolously. You didn't, it wasn't about, I'll just go buy something that I really want, that I've been waiting on, a new dress or a new coat or a new... No. No, you held it back because it literally meant when everything else failed, that was your, your safety net. And for this woman to have ten silver coins, this is probably ten denarii. And remember, a denarius is a day's wage. So she's literally got 10 days wages. So this is a significant amount. So when she loses one of them, it's a big deal. Remember, this is about security for her. This is about survival for her family in the long run. So she's going to do everything she can to find it. And she does. I mean, she sweeps the house. She's looking in the cracks. She's, you know, she gets out the lamp and goes into the corners. And finally, she finds it. And it's such a big deal that I'm sure during the day her friends have come by and she's like, man, I've lost this coin and, and they're all worried for her because they know what it means. So when she finds it, she's going to tell everyone that she has. Now again, the Pharisees would have understood this very clearly. They would have understand, yes, that woman did exactly what she should have done. That was her responsibility. That was her duty. She did the right thing. And once again, the application is the exact same. Look at verse 10. Just so, Jesus says, in the same way I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Once again, the indictment of the Pharisees is inescapable. How, how can you, he's saying to them, how can you affirm the importance of what that shepherd did? How can you affirm the importance of what that woman did in finding a lost animal and a lost piece of silver but yet you are critical of me for trying to recover a lost human being. What, what is wrong with you? That's the implication to, to them. 
How, how can you understand that, that a village of men and women would be joyful over an animal, over a piece of silver, and yet you condemn me for trying to bring joy to heaven? What's, what's wrong with your morals? What's, what's wrong with your religious beliefs? You don't understand the heart of God. Now, those two parables lead to the third one, which is, of course, the main parable in this chapter. This parable we'll get to next week is the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. It is probably Jesus' most well-known parable of all of them. Charles Dickinson and Ralph Waldo Emerson both said of the prodigal son, it's the greatest short story ever spoken or written down in history. And they, they knew a little something about, about writing. Again, we know it as the parable of the prodigal son, but I'm going to call it the parable of the lost son because that's what it's all about. And so we'll come back next week and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll cover that. Let's pray. Father...